Welcome to Building a Greener Idaho, your source for insightful conversations with diverse voices at the intersection of people, profit, and planet. Welcome everyone to uh, this meeting of the Idaho Environmental Forum, uh, which seeks to solve the environmental puzzle one piece at a time. My name is Dick Gardner. I'll be your moderator for today's program. Now, uh, I am not a planner. I'm an economist by trade, so I'm only qualified to plan how to spend the money in your wallet or purse. Prior to the Great Recession, there were quite a number of planned communities at some stage uh, of the uh, development process within Ada County. Uh, most went into hibernation when the Great Recession hit and home values plummeted. Uh, a couple, uh, Harris Ranch and Abermore in particular, uh, survived and uh, began growing as the recovery started. In the case of Hammer Flats, uh, the plants were abandoned and the land was sold first to the city of Boise and then to the Idaho Department of Fish and Game as a wildlife reserve. The large development uh, known as M3, which proposed to double the population of Eagle, Idaho, um, uh, appears to be stuck despite a large infusion of cash from a Texas pension fund. Now, large developments are back in vogue. There are a couple of east and south of Boise, uh, notably near Mayfield, uh, and, and I'm hoping we're going to hear about perhaps some more uh, from our speakers today. A planned community called Dry Creek Ranch has recently generated considerable pushback by local residents seeking to preserve open space, and I suspect we're going to hear more about this later. How should we, Treasure Valley residents, feel about planned communities? Are they a good planning tool to achieve growth consistent with our values, or are they a mechanism to encourage growth? What factors are indicators of long-term success? How does one distinguish a principal developer from a rich book scheme? How can citizens best be engaged to shape these large developments? Well, today we have an excellent panel of speakers that's going to we're going to illuminate these issues from three different perspectives. So beginning at the far side of the table, Jerome Mapp is going to bring the perspective of a professional planner. He consults across Southwest Idaho under the name Planning and Facility Management. He's a former uh, member of the Boise City Council and has about 44 years of uh, direct engagement in Idaho growth. He's developed comprehensive plans for about 20 cities and counties in Idaho. He was a founding member of Valley Regional Transit. He served as the president of the Idaho Planning Association for five years. He's been a hearing examiner for Caldwell, Parma, and Canyon County. He's a certified grant administrator for public works grants. And lastly, I'm proud to count Jerome as a personal friend. Next, uh, in the middle, uh, Doug Fowler uh, is not a native of Idaho. Relative newcomer, he's only been here since 1949. <laughs> <laughs> he is a graduate of Northwest uh, Nazarene University and uh, it works for Lanier Development. Uh, he brings the developer's perspective. He's a developer representative for Harris Ranch, the first specific area plan, not the community, adopted by Boise City into ordinance. Uh, Doug was honored uh, by Partners for Livable Communities with the National Bridge Builders Award in 2015 for collaborative planning. Uh, 
And then closest to me, Randy Wilson, works as sustainability director for the Simplot Company. She's also an IEF board member, and there's that long list of ribbons there. Uh, prior to working for Simplot, she served in the same position as sustainability director for CH2M. In both these uh, corporate jobs, she's built collaborative partnerships with a whole lot of stakeholder groups. Today, however, she'll be representing uh, the point of view of the concerned citizen. Brandy serves on the Barber Valley Neighborhood Association Board. She formerly served eight years as the Ada County Area of Impact representative to the uh, Boise City Planning and Zoning Commission. Jerome will talk about the current state of planning law in Idaho and about the different types of developments that we lay people call planned communities. Doug is going to speak about the factors that contribute to uh, the success of a large development like Harris Ranch. And Bradley will speak to the issues that a citizens group can hope to influence during the development process. I'm your moderator, Brandy Wilson, and I with forum chairs. Radio Boise is recording and broadcasting the forum. To start off a discussion, because uh, we keep using different terms, I like to start off by saying that the foundation of all of this is the Local Language Planning Act, which was adopted in 1975. And so when you start looking at the original origins of the Local Language Planning Act, is supposed to be a guide to the city. It's a guide that gives them direction of where they're going in the future. What we saw in development was a subdivision created by a farmer or somebody who talks to a farmer. And they built 20 acres. Next door, somebody had 20 acres and they came in. And then there was another person at 20 acres that developed in the same area. No connectivity, no planning. It was just a cookie cutter development. We moved to today where we see various uh, ways to develop a parcel. Uh, with any development that goes on, uh, someone said, well, my property rights being challenge. And the truth is everybody has property rights. <laughs> the developer has an entitlement, and that entitlement is the land and how this zone or how within it indicated on the council plan map. That's your entitlement. Anything else is above that original entitlement. To develop
that ultimately relates in school, but also they have jurisdiction on the schools and the mosquito district and the irrigation district. And this goes on with very different governmental bodies that we have in this area. When we talk about planned communities, it's different in the county than it is in the city. A planned community in the county has really none of that. It has to be created, looked at, they're responsible to act water source. They're responsible to provide um, treatment facilities. Some of them cannot be annexed to the city because they don't meet the requirements of state code or they can't be incorporated in the city, I should say. Uh, I appreciate the fact that uh, Dr. Gardner mentioned that um, I've been here since 1949. I was actually born in Seattle, so I missed a native uh, Idaho by uh, 34 days. <laughs> I have had some brief stints in uh, Guam and Arizona since then. Um, you know, it appears as though, to pick up on what Jerome was talking about, uh, not only is uh, deja vu happening, but there's a certain uh, populace out there that uh, we need to expand on that. And uh, if they're have, having deja vu and amnesia at the same time, <laughs> they think they've forgotten this before. <laughs> um, I'm going to uh, take a couple of comments off of the flyer that went out and, uh, uh, and try and relate them to uh, Harris Ranch. Um, one of the things was uh, planned communities are a mixed bag, um, sometimes looks good on paper, uh, becomes reality, and, uh, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, we were fortunate in, in being able to do the first specific district ordinance in the city of Boise. And so the, the short answer to that is uh, make it an enforceable ordinance. Um, the, uh, the very short version of that is uh, there used to be 22 chapters in the city zoning ordinance. Uh, Harris Ranch is chapter 23. Um, the other uh, Bullet point in the flyer was some developers earn the trust and collaboration of residents, others don't. Um, why is that? Uh, you have to start with a clean sheet of paper. And you have to be sincere about it. Um, you have to be able to listen. And it's real hard to do that uh, when your mouth's open. <laughs> um, you, you have to be collaborative. Uh, in a problem-solving atmosphere. At Harris Ranch, um, we initiated a charrette. It lasted, the first one lasted four days and four evenings. Uh, I had the task of going to the Harris family and explaining what we're going to do. They said, that sounds like you're going to have a whole bunch of people, some people that don't like us, telling us what to do with our land. And I said, that's pretty much it. <laughs> um, it's hard to skirt that issue, but, but, but you get to come too. And, uh, and why don't you uh, listen to what they have to say? Um, we um, we had two representatives from six neighborhood groups. We had representatives from uh, uh, Idaho Conservation League. 
we uh, had people from county departments, city departments. We had uh, Idaho Fish and Game, U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Um, we had DEQ, and I know that sounds, you really invited DEQ to Chevrette on the development. Yeah, we did, because you know what? Those bulldozers are really hard to hide. So we invited everybody. We had 65 to 70 people. We did four days and four evenings. Uh, a month later, we did it uh, two days and two evenings. And then we did it every month after that until we submitted um, the uh, application. It took two men, uh, two hand trucks to deliver the application. Um, the rules of the charrette were pretty simple. The first one was uh, you had to be nice. One of my favorite signs of all time is above the uh, men's latrine at Jeff's Pirate's Cove on Guam, and it says, if you get carried away, you'll get carried away. Um, <laughs> we expected people to disagree, but you can certainly do that in, uh, in a civil manner. The goal was to get as many people what uh, they needed and uh, some of what they wanted. And when they couldn't get everything they want, wanted, at least um, they, they could know why. Um, so you do it together. It's a lot of hard work, um, and it's a lot of frustration. But the end game is, uh, was exemplified uh, uh, two and a half years ago when the Barber Valley Neighborhood Association when a foothill plan was going uh, up before the city, Pine Zoning and City Council uh, said that Harris Ranch has kept their part of the bargain on this specific plan, uh, and for us not to support this application would be disingenuous. That was hard for them to do because later on we'll talk about some pros and cons of. Planned communities, and and one of the cons is uh, it's successful. Well, how's that a con? Well, you have a whole bunch of new people moving in that they don't have the background of what's gone into this, and so it's a real challenge to educate. Another con of a planned development is uh, you're going to build on a construction site uh, for a good ten to twenty years. Um, so it's not um, all it's cracked up to be. Um, it, just because you get the plan done and approved, I remember after our city council meeting where we were fortunate to receive unanimous approval, on the way out somebody mentioned to me that, well, you got it done. And my comment was, we got it started. And that's where we are today. Um, probably that it was mentioned about uh, an award that we were fortunate to receive from Partners for Livable Communities. Um, uh, and uh, probably the best example I can give you is at the table was uh, the sustainability officer, global sustainability officer for uh, CH2M. CH2M. <laughs> and uh, Jim Hunter and his wife, a production home builder. Millie Davis, one of the three partners. Um, her husband, 
that oversees the landscape maintenance for the homeowners association. Um, uh, a lot of cast of characters all at the same table uh, in Washington, D.C. for a bridge builder award for collaborative planning. So the first temptation is to focus on density, because this is what's in the news, right? 
656 houses, or maybe 756 houses, whatever it is, there's some number there with density. Density is a trap. It's something that is, is used to really distract people from the real issue, which is design. And density is actually your friend, because if you promote more dense development with smaller large yards, which is what the millennials and baby boomers all say they want anyway, then you leave a lot more space for um, open space, for wildlife, for trails, for community amenities, and that sort of thing. So don't be afraid of density. Instead, focus on design. The second temptation is, uh, the second trap is to demonize the developer. And like I said before, I won't deny it, it makes a huge difference to sitting across the table from you. And I've seen full range. But remember that they have right property rights too. And especially in Idaho, those property rights are pretty prevalent. And so, um, so they have a right to maximize the revenue on that, they have a right to develop that property. But you also have a pretty powerful card as just an advocate, and that's that you can either make this easy so they can make more money, or you can make it hard. So they end up spending a year in planning and zoning and city council and coming back and coming back again and all of that other stuff. And so if you can approach the developer as a partner and say, hey, we want to engage with you early, we want to start with a blank piece of paper, we want to work with you so that you'll be done faster, that's a really good proactive way to approach um, developers. And we've done this with other developers besides this guy here. And so the third, the third trap is to fall into the mindset that you and your neighbors are victims of this development that's coming in. And part of the reason why people feel that way is because you know that the developers can outspend you and they know that and you know that they can afford better lawyers than your neighbor who can if it comes to that, right? So you get into this mentality that gosh, you know, we're just the little guys with the David, the Goliath, all of that other good stuff. But that kind of mentality really stops creativity in its tracks. And what you can do is you can bring conservation organizations to the table with you. You can bring more creative solutions than what they're thinking about. And you guys know the area better than these developers that are coming in, so you can provide some valuable information to them. And you know, just last year, uh, our neighborhood decided that there was a parcel that we really wanted to stay as open space. And so we raised the money and, and did that. We actually you know, worked with a bunch of other folks and purchased that property so that we could keep it up as open space on the wildlife corridor. And there are going to be some times when you're able to do that, sometimes when you're not. But always think about all the different tools and the toolbox that you have that you can bring to the table and just get out of that victim mentality. Um, so my final piece of advice with all of that is that as you're approaching these things, stay calm, stay professional, and stay focused. There's nothing that's harder for somebody who's sitting on the Planning and Zoning Commission than to hear hours of tearful, heartfelt commentary that doesn't give us any way to make any changes, right? And so having love in your heart for the community, I mean, that's why we were all serving on the PNC Commission, that's why people show up to these things. But you have to be able to really look into what can I live with and what do I want to get out of this infusion of cash that's coming our way? What other infrastructure needs do we have? What other community needs do we have? And how can we better advocate for that? So I think that's pretty much it for me. I think, I, you know, I agree with Jerome that they, there's more tools that we could be having in our toolbox and it's getting better. For example, I would really love to see the collaboration model, something that's required instead of just one neighborhood meeting, for example. So, yeah. Thank you. 
Thanks for tuning in to Building a Greener Idaho. Keep the conversation going on social media and at buildingagreeneridaho.org. And join us Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Thanks for listening.